Do you like the work we're doing here at It's All Journalism? For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us continue the conversation about good journalism. Show your support by donating to our Patreon campaign. Go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to donate. And so they come in uh, with skills, multimedia and social media skills, which is great. However, when you start talking about what are the norms and expectations of what we're trying to do each day, that has become a little more murky than it used to be in the past because the culture has been shattered to a large degree. The number of people you took out of that newsroom and the generational knowledge you have taken from that newsroom has had, had an unbelievable impact on what is being produced now at these newspapers. Welcome to It's All Journalism. I'm Michael O'Connell here with another podcast about digital media makers. Are you a member of journalism's lost generation? On the phone with me today is Scott Reinardi, a University of Kansas journalism professor. He's written a book, Journalism's Lost Generation, The Undoing of U.S. Newspaper Newsrooms. Welcome to the podcast, Scott. Oh, thank you. Pleasure to be here. So first of all, uh, now who is the lost generation you're, you're writing about here? Uh, that's a great question. Actually, there are several lost generations I discuss in the book, uh, one primarily being an obvious one that I, I don't have a lot of research on, but it's, it's a generation that had lost their jobs. There have been about 20,000 newspaper layoffs and cuts in the last 10 years. And then my data and my research goes back to more than a decade. That's one lost generation. Many of these people not only lost their jobs, they lost careers in the process. They had to shift to a different life completely. A second lost generation I discuss is the older generation of journalists who have been around for many, many years. Not only have they uh, uh, lost a lot of their friends in the newsroom and uh, now are working in diminished newsrooms, their workload has changed dramatically. It's not only increased, but they've taken on social media, they've taken on uh, different aspects of new media or multimedia, maybe taking photos or doing video. So they're a little bit uh, lost in terms of trying to, to find where they belong in this new era of newspapers. And the third generation I, I discuss are the young journalists. They're walking into newsrooms where the norms and the tradition, traditions that have been beholden to newspapers for you know, decades or centuries possibly uh, has really been shattered. So they're coming into an environment where the landscape is completely different than what it used to be. Now, that doesn't affect them in terms of, oh, well, it used to be like this, but it affects them, affects them in terms of the older journalists not having the time or the inclination to really acclimate these young people into an environment of, let's produce journalism like this. This is the quality of journalism we produce here at this paper. Instead, so they come in with skills, multimedia and social media skills, which is great. However, when you start talking about what are the norms and expectations of what we're trying to do each day, that has become a little more murky than it used to be in the past because the culture has been shattered to a large degree. The number of people you took out of that newsroom and the generational knowledge you have taken from that newsroom has had, had an unbelievable impact on what is being produced now at these newspapers. Yeah, and anyone who has listened to this podcast for a while will recognize that this is a, actually a very central theme to the core of this podcast. I had spent 10 years as a journalist at a chain of you know weekly newspapers in Northern Virginia. I ended up leaving there as a, a managing editor after several years being in this sort of situation where you know our staff was reduced. Uh, they stopped filling positions. Uh, they asked people to take pay cuts. 
They cut the size of the papers. They actually cut the physical size of the papers, not just the page counts. And, you know, they were losing revenue. They, you know, certainly they, they, they lost most of their classified advertising revenue. And they have a diff- difficult time trying to, to hang on to any um, display advertising. So there were a few of us journalists who were in there. You know, I know that for the last couple of years I was at that paper, you know, I was working harder than I had ever done before on a product that I was less and less satisfied with. And uh, so I ended up having to make a change in my career. This is an issue that just through conversations we've had through the podcast with, you know, maybe older, not only just older journalists, but also the, uh, a young generation of journalists coming in who, who are sort of dealing with this in the newsrooms that they, uh, they, they're hoping to start a career off, but then finding a lot of problems with. Oh, absolutely. And I spoke with many young journalists who had been a year or two into their careers and saying, this isn't what I was expected. This isn't really what I thought it was going to be. Some have adapted quite well, and others are already looking for transition. I've talked to several that moved, went back to school, went to law school, changed careers, went into marketing, went into public relations. They decided that that isn't what they really wanted to do. And in large part, I think that they looked at their older colleagues and, and realized that their their futures were were unstable at best. Uh, were were more job cuts coming? What was going to happen to the industry? So that has become problematic as well. Yeah, well, certainly the industry is is still on shaky ground. I think, you know, with a lot of the innovations that have gone on on the digital side, I mean, there's still lots of questions about the, you know, the financial model of it, how to make this sustain, how to support. I mean, you know, like it or not, the old structures you know, they certainly had their problems, but they were able to financial. They were able to financially back a lot of really good journalism, as big and unwieldy as they may have been. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that you know we've yet to see replicated uh, effectively at this point. So, what was it inspired that inspires you to write this book? Well, I I, um, I had worked in newspapers for nearly fifteen years, and I went to do my graduate work at the University of Missouri. I earned my master's and PhD. And while I was doing that, I was really looking at, I was always fascinated by newsrooms. I mean, it's such an interesting and eclectic mix of people and characters and just people who are really committed to not only a profession, but almost a calling to a sense. So I started doing my graduate work and and getting some ideas about research. I wanted to look at what what kind of downward pressure were journalists feeling in terms of, of the workload, in terms of what their bosses expected, in terms of what the public was demanding, in terms of what sources, what kind of pressure sources put on journalists. And, and that was before the layoffs started and all that. So I was really looking at things like job satisfaction and burnout and workload and, and those types of issues. And, and it just coincidentally, the cut started, then we had a, the Great Recession, and, and, it, and all of a sudden you, you saw all these people losing jobs. And I just continued to follow through with that research, like I said, for more than a decade. So, you know, after, after you know, almost doing this research for a dozen years, I started to look at what I had in terms of patterns and, and longitudinal data and started to see some things that, that kept bubbling up, kept evolving, and thought, I've got to sit down and put this all in one place. I I'd published several academic papers on it. I, I've written some different articles for professional publications and those types of things. But I really thought I needed to sit down and put this in one place and, and write it in a fashion that isn't, you know, just a, a statistical number crunching and, and, you know, where you needed an advanced degree to understand it. I think the book is written in a fashion with, with anecdotes and data that tell a story that's 
to a large degree, um, it's difficult to read at times. It's unpleasant to read. I had a sabbatical in 2014, and I went to several newsrooms interviewing and, and, and really spending time in the newsroom to see how their news was developed and interviewing people. And it was difficult. I had people during those interviews break down and cry and, and really at a loss for what they are going to do, who were only in the job for the insurance at that point because they were afraid that you know, they couldn't find another job or they were going to be laid off at any moment. And my wife, during that period of time, said, when this is finished, are you going to need therapy? And I said, well, maybe. You know, I don't know. Because it, it's it's difficult in, in a profession that you care about so much to see it just so tattered and just worn out at that point. Um, I really felt for the people in those newsrooms. It's, it's a difficult. To me, it's, I have great respect for the people who have, who have stayed there and continue to do do the work. I mean, it, it's it's necessary, important work. There are many people who have who have remained in those rooms to try to do that, or as many as, as, as possible. Yeah, I definitely hear you. Now, you mostly spoke to to newspaper newsrooms. Did you go to any other type of newsrooms? Because certainly, in many different ways, different strata of the of the industry have been affected. But has it been just mostly print? Yeah, it was just print newspapers. Uh, and, and I think that's a great point where you, you could start looking at some of these other organizations. The the interesting though, even even with the print reporters. Uh, reporters specifically, not a lot of them spend much time in the newsroom anymore. They're intrepid reporters. They are out in the field or they are tweeting or Facebooking or blogging or Snapchatting from wherever they're at. And you don't have that cohesiveness in the newsroom like you used to have where people are coming and going. These, I mean, a lot of them work, they're, they're transient to a certain nature. So I don't, I don't know how that would, uh, if I were to delve into some of the digital aspects of digital organizations, if it has the same dimension culturally that newspapers had at one time. Did you see much difference between, you know, like the, the weekly local newspapers and the daily newspapers? Is it all kind of sort of the, the same stories just told at sort of different levels? I actually never looked at weekly newspapers. I strictly looked at daily newspapers. As for the differences in, in smaller and larger and how I define those, mostly through um, um, like APME contest entries, the smaller papers were less than 50,000 circulation. Now, of course, circulation size is, is not an accurate measurement when we're talking digital visitors and those types of things, unique visitors. But those are the traditional uh, guidelines. So it's less than 50,000. 50,001 uh, to 100,000, then over 100,000. When I looked at those, and, and most of the work I did was with smaller and mid-sized newspapers, it was pretty consistent. There might have been some statistical differences in some aspects, but generally speaking, they were pretty consistent in terms of levels of burnout, levels of workload, uh, what kind of organizational support they receive, and again, the comments were pretty consistent. The only dimension that really changed was how much the newsrooms had been downsized. But I'll tell you, some of them I talked to, even there you looked at, and, and they continue to cut, where they get down to 50% of what they were just five or six or eight years ago. And that's, that's losing a lot of personnel. That's losing a lot of institutional knowledge and community knowledge, for that matter. But I didn't see huge differences. It seemed that the concerns were unilateral for the most part. So, you know, before all these layoffs began, before, I mean, I, I think you talked about the, um, 
the recession. I mean, a lot of people sort of jump when they think about the decline of uh, what's going on in the major newsrooms. They, 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 a lot of people sort of think that it's just because of digital technology. Digital technology obviously had a huge impact on it, but the recession sort of just doubled it. That, that sort of knockout punch for a lot of newspapers that had already been sort of reeling from having to try to compete on this new platform. So how are these journalists sort of handling you know, having to take these digital, you know, try to pick up these digital skills and master basically a completely different platform from what they may have been trained in. It was interesting to see because you you had several different categories. Some were the older journalists were, well, I'm just never going to do that. And then the journalists who were in mid-career were more like, well, I'll give it a try and see what happens. Some of them went willingly, very willingly, and others, you know, fought it a little bit, but realized if they wanted to keep their jobs, they would they would do what they're asked to do. And the young journalists, they, are, of course, are, are digital natives. This is not a big deal. But the interesting complaint from the younger journalists is, okay, I'm doing all this, and some of my older colleagues are not. They should be forced to do it, too. And it wasn't a matter of equity and workload. It was a matter of, that makes our paper better. We have new audiences we need to address. That older reporter is a good reporter, and he or she should be more involved in the digital nature of what we're trying to accomplish. And so that was the discontent. Of course, the, the older journalists would go, well, I'm not going to do that. And, and, you know, and, and also, my manager keeps changing his mind. My manager editor is telling me one week to blog, and the next week I'm supposed to tweet, and the next week I'm supposed to do Snapchat or whatever the case may be. And no one ever explains to me why we're doing it. What's the purpose? Yeah, yeah, we're trying to read your audiences, but are you turning any money on that? What am I losing in terms of time committed to the real work I, I need and should be doing? Calling those extra sources and doing that kind of diligence in my reporting or editing, or whatever the case may be. And when you look at job positions, uh, desk personnel, uh, probably uh, they absorbed mostly the brunt of what was happening, copy editors and page designers. Those staffs have been cut substantially. And then they're absorbing all the other technical aspects. Some newspapers require all tweets to be edited before they're sent out. Well, that that's a lot more work for people working uh, back on the desk. Or the desk personnel were commissioned to post everything online. They do all the online posting. Well, that's additional work for, for those folks. So the technology uh, affected not only different age groups, but it also affected different job titles as well. And that was actually my experience at the newspaper is that you saw you definitely saw a, a sort of a decrease in quality. And it wasn't, you know, for a lack of caring. It was just a more a matter of, you know, there are only 24 hours in the day. You're only one person. There's only so much that you can do. But the product still needs to get out, even if the product may be not, you know, what, you know, five, ten years ago would have something that, that would have passed as, you know, this is quality journalism. You still want to try to hit as many of those beats as you can. Of course, the downside in that scenario is that, you know, you're trying to fight for your relevancy in, in news distribution and you're producing a quality a product that's subpar because you're trying to you know compete on a different you know platform on a different level and so that makes it that much harder i mean it would have been very interesting to see you know the digital adoption sort of occur where there were stable newsrooms but because the 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 whole industry was destabilized and people were just trying to figure out well what's going to work 
there were so many people who, who were just lost. And, and like you said, an editor in one week is saying you need to blog and the next week they should be tweeting more. And, you know, what is my priority? What, you know, I thought I was supposed to go to the courthouse and, and talk to these people. And that was my, you know, that was my job. That's been my, always been my job, but it's changed. Michael, you are, you are correct. Well, the older journalists had real concerns about the habits of the younger journalists and who was going to train them to do good quality journalism. Of course, many of these people came through that era of, of for those who remember, you know, Lou Grant, you know, give me the story, go out there, get that story and talk to these people. And, you know, so they said, I had those editors and they made me better. We don't have those editors anymore. And that's not the expectation top to bottom. People are looking for clicks. They're not looking for depth of reporting. They're not looking for the, the next interview or, the, or, or an additional interview. They're looking for you just get it done and get mo- moving on to the next thing. And as long as we're moving traffic, we're good. And, and there's no training that ever went with, the, with any of the, the social media or multimedia aspects of it. It was just people were told to do it. I, I can't imagine how many uh, uh, seasoned journalists uh, went to their computers and Googled, you know, blogging when they were first told to blog. I, I have no idea, but I'm sure it was, it was a number of them who had no idea what that meant or, or how to do it. And that's problematic, where there wasn't directives put in place with the support system that would make those directives successful. Yeah. And, you know, I, I certainly sympathize with that. I was, you know, I was 50 when I went back to to get my master's in interactive journalism because I knew that that's what those are the skills I needed to do. But not everybody can do that. And I, I was very fortunate in sort of the choices that I was I was able to make and the, the places I happened to be so that I could I could do, you know, get a job in the digital side of the industry and make that transition. But again, not a lot of people can do that. But the other side of it is are the younger journalists. And I'm glad you, you, you talk about the, the millennials. We've had many who come on the podcast and actually many, you know, we've been doing this podcast for four years. You know, the first couple of years, I was really surprised at the number of young journalists that we were talking to who had just come out of college, who had all these skills, but they couldn't find a job or they came out of college and they didn't have the skills because the journalism schools were lagging behind of what the newsrooms needed. And the newsrooms were unable to sort of communicate to them, you know, we need journalists who do this, 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 and this, but you're still teaching them all these other valid, important skills, but that that's not what's going to get them a job right now. That is true. You know, and that's always been the push-pull of it. Are, are academics supposed to be ahead of the curve preparing students to go out there and be great journalists in, in whatever capacity? Or is it the industry should be telling us what they want and then the curriculums are adjusted? Well, if you've worked in academia, and I've worked in both places, if you worked in academia, you understand that administratively nothing moves quickly. And, you know, we, we have plans, but for me to get an entire curriculum revamped and approved through our faculty would take no less than a year. Well, a year is forever in the digital age. Yeah. So what, what we do is we make modifications in piecemeal and different areas. And, you know, seven, eight years ago, we had a social media class. Well, we no longer have a social media class. We have social media ingrained in our entire curriculum. It happens in a lot of different places, so we don't need to have a special class for it. So it's always that push-pull you know, and what do you do? You teach to the technology. Do you teach to you know uh, content development? What, what do you teach to? So that's that's been a struggle, and I know a lot of. I'm sure a lot of people are going to look at my book and scoff and say, "Oh, it's just another academic throwing rocks at us." These are not my opinions. This is what I extracted from more than 10 years of research, talking with journalists, you know, surveying journalists and pulling data, and 
and really getting in their newsrooms to find out what they were saying. It's a reflection of what's happening. It isn't just me casting stones from the ivory tower. Yeah. And as I sort of, you know, started to say before about, you know, the younger journalists, you know, the, the people that we interviewed, you know, there, there were many of them that we talked to who, you know, they had to go out and, and pick up skills so that, because they were hired to, to, with the expectation that they were going to do some things that they hadn't been trained to do. And they sort of, it became more of self-directed. One of the things that, that sort of disappeared pretty quickly, I think, in this, in this upheaval was the, you know, the old structure of, you know, you begin at a, a regional paper and you, you, you do better there and then you move up to the next size paper and the next size paper. And when you're at the big daily paper, you, you work your way up there and eventually you're a columnist or you're, you're whatever. You work through the system, you know, learning your skills and honing your skills. And, and, you know, with the whole structure sort of being exploded, you had a lot of young people coming in. You alluded to it earlier that, you know, they looked into the future and they didn't see a lot of hope as to longevity in their career. And likewise, maybe even just from a pay aspect sure. that they, they went to PR because it was paid much better. So I, I always try to find hope in these things. Where's the hope in this? Is there any hope in your book? It doesn't sound like there is. There is. And that's what, you know, like I said, you, you get to the middle chapters and you're like, oh my God, where is this taking us? But no, there is. And, and some of that hope is with the young people. You know, I look at it this way. It, any of us who started journalism back in the 70s or 80s or, or 90s even, you're right. You had to work your way up through the process. And, and this is what I found helpful. Our, our younger journalists who go out there can move into managerial positions a little quicker. Look at the social media editors or, or their online editors. Those are mostly young people who have some say in what's happening at their papers. Now, you can argue if that's good or bad. I think it's a great opportunity that there's younger voices being heard at that level. The hope is that we're not, we're not talking, you know, newspapers are dead and, and journalism is going to hell. The young people are, are smart. They're innovative. They're creative. They will help us get through some of this, including the economic aspects of it. They really will. They are good. They are committed. You know, I deal with them every day. I see them every day. They want to go out there and do great work as well. Now, what the market demands and what the, the you know, managing editors and, and editors are demanding, that has to be rectified. Because if all you're going to do is chase clicks, well, that's great for cat videos, but it's not very good when City Hall is burning. You know, when, when there's corruption going on or where there's new taxes being implemented, that stuff has to be covered because... Generally speaking, the local community isn't going to be out there covering and, and producing that content from those meetings and, and things like that. There still needs to be that watchdog purpose. This younger generation is committed to that. My concern is the digital and the social media, that pulls them away from some of that. That we no longer, I mean, the general requirement is always, you know, get three sources for a story. You're seeing a lot more one-source stories. That just isn't good enough. You're seeing a lot more regurgitation from media specialists. Here, we'll provide information and make your life easy for you. That's not always great journalism. That depth and that intensity and that really deep look into a story needs to be applied. Because if newspapers aren't doing it, who is going to be doing it? It, it costs a lot of money to produce content. Who's going to pick up that slack? Who's going to fill that void? And, and that's the fear. But we do have a good younger generation of people, and they're out there, and they, and they are committed. They really are. They may not do it like you and I did it, but that's okay. Um, it's a different world. They can't do it like you and I always did it 
because the world has changed and what's and the demands are different. There is hope. There really is. Yeah, I, and I think if we look, not to turn this into a political discussion because I really don't want to do that, but if we look at what's going on in the, the current political discussion and how that is being played about on television and in the digital realm, I think you know people are beginning to understand that there is a lot going on in journalism that has can have a huge effect on the way this country functions. And those are important things that, that we need to do. I know one of the things that I always think about is, and this even goes back to what we were talking before about the journalism schools. It's like, what do we define ourselves as journalists? What is our industry? What is the value we bring to this discussion? You know, if it's, you know, just posting, you know, photos on Twitter of things that you just saw, you know, without, you know, fact checking or, or anything, if, if there's no, you know, as you were sort of saying, you know, doing, you know, multiple sources and transparency in the way you do things, the core journalism values, if we don't bring these those to the discussion, then then we really don't have anything to sort of justify our, our reason to be here. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, the, I talk to many people who we want to, you know, make sure that we get the news out quickly. We want to tell stories in different ways and, and get clicks and whatever. But, you know, if you can't, if you can't differentiate the work that you're doing from from just anybody on the street, then then you're not a journalist, and you've got to put the sure. time in. And good journalism takes time. I think back to the movie that that just came out, Spotlight, and I've talked to a lot of people about that, young journalist as well. Maybe this that's this generation's uh, all the president's men that'll inspire people to realize that there's a different type of journalism and there's a different type of uh, you know future for us if we put the time in. And, and, you know, and studies have shown that people will, will read long-form stories if they are good, if they're well-reported and they're good stories. This semester, you know, I'm teaching a depth reporting class, not because I think these journalists are going to go out there and get their first opportunity writing a 4,000-word investigative piece. No, I think more, though, to give them the opportunity to dig deep into a story and to get an understanding of what that really takes and how they can do that. Yeah. And I think that's important for them to have that skill as they walk out of here, along with their, their digital skills. And, and the other thing, I mean, they're just not going to be they're word stories. They're, they're, they're multimedia stories. Well, we will have videos and pictures and graphics and, and data analysis and, and a lot of different things that go with that. But then we're working with the media partners to do that, local newspapers and, and some other media entities in Kansas to do that. But they, they need to be exposed to that so they understand that there are different ways to do journalism. And this is and this is one of them as well. Yeah, definitely. So, all right, what do you take away from um, your conversations with your students? They're a little apprehensive. <laughs> they're, you know, they're, they're a little apprehensive of the future. They are committed to what they're doing. But I've also found that they're probably smarter than I ever were, uh, than I was in school, where they also look at other opportunities. They're not just going to the newspaper internship. They may go and do a marketing internship in a semester or in the summer or take a marketing class to understand the other aspects of media. Just in case, you know, they have a plan B. They've got different ideas. The other thing is they're very innovative. I had a young lady a couple of years ago who started a blog for college-aged women uh, who like to work out. And what she did was she didn't have any money, so she didn't pay anyone, but she went to different universities or she contacted different universities or young women at different universities and said, you want to write for my blog? I can't pay anything, but you'll get some exposure. So she had, you know, a couple dozen young ladies throughout the country from different universities writing for a blog for free. 
Well, she eventually starts selling advertising and builds this into her business. And, you know, so they're creative, they're innovative, they understand, they get it, and they will continue to be creative and innovative and, and, and get it and help us get through it as well. And then sometimes we're, we're always going to bemoan the younger generation and what they're doing. Well, heck, old folks bemoaned our generation when <laughs> we were young. So it, it's just, you know, get off my damn lawn type of stuff. But, you know, I think we have to open our eyes and say, hmm, these young people, they've, they've got a great perspective and they have some great ideas. But we can help supplement some of that with our experience and knowledge as well. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think, you know, we can go into a whole conversation about, you know, I think uh, a lot of journalists, young journalists are more entrepreneurial than we ever were. Our sure. idea was to go get a job at a paper and, you know, work, you know, stay in that industry for as long as we could, moving from one better job to another. I mean, who, sure. which of us ever thought that we'd actually go out and start a blog or start our own you know, a news, uh, news feed or something. It's, it's pretty impressive what's going on. Scott, this has been a great conversation. I, I really enjoyed talking to you. This is, a, this is an issue that's really close to my heart. It, like I said, it's kind of at the core what this podcast is, is, is the upheaval that's happened in our industry. And what I like to do is to talk to people to sort of share ideas. And it's nice to, to talk to somebody who's actually looked at what's going on and talked to the people and uh, made something out of it. Now, where can people find your book? You can go on Amazon located. It's a Rowledge, Taylor & Francis publication. It's actually a pretty quick read. It's only about 42,000 words, but it really a lot of anecdotes, a lot of stories from, from individuals from those newsrooms, and, of course, there's some, some data to support what's being said as well. So, But you can go on Amazon and pick that up. Okay. Well, cool. And, again, the book is Journalism's Lost Generation, The Undoing of U.S. Newspaper Newsrooms. This has been uh, Scott Reynardi. He's a professor at the University of Kansas. Thanks for uh, spending some time with me. Thank you, Michael. My pleasure. Next time on It's All Journalism. And a lot of reporters are lazy. They'll go out and find an article that somebody said, hey, the Blue Yeti is the best microphone ever. Well, it is if you're in a quiet room, and I mean silent, with soundproofing. It's a condenser microphone. But if you're in a, an apartment, it's not a great microphone because it's going to pick up the crickets outside. And I'm saying that because it will pick up the crickets outside. It's a really super sensitive microphone. But everybody saw that article and copied and pasted and said, look, I'm talking about podcasting, but nobody's doing any reporting. In our next podcast, we talk about podcast production with David Jackson, the founder of the School of Podcasting. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about digital media. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. This week's episode was edited by Nicola Grisco. Amber Healy provided our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music, and I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Hey, I've written a book. You can order copies of Turn Up the Volume, a Down and Dirty Guide to Podcasting on our website. Visit itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page. Isn't it time you started your podcast? Do you like the work that we're doing here at It's All Journalism? Now you can show your support on our Patreon page. Follow the link at the top of our website and donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you can access exclusive content and receive updates about upcoming episodes. Donate a little bit more and we'll send you a cool swag like our It's All Journalism mug or a signed copy of my podcasting book. There are even opportunities for you to submit ideas for future shows or even appear on an episode. Go to itsalljournalism.com and click on the Patreon link to find out more. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.